Today on the show, we've had our beef swellings. We've defeated Tony and Tina the Tigers. We've established the preacher is Paul and also from Brooklyn. <laughs> we were forced to take drugs by our grandmother, but mastered the voices within. So now it's time to hear from you as we wrap on Children of Dune. Wow. How many packs a day did you have to smoke <laughs> just to prepare for today's intro? Uh, I'm impressed. I don't want to talk too much about it, but I have to constantly <laughs> monitor my internal metabolism, else I overdose on tobacco yes, smoke. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> also, I'm a worm now. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't, it's not even worth doing another. You carried that bit to perfection. <laughs> Oh, that's it. Thanks for listening. <laughs> we just sang up. <laughs> Amazing. Incredible. Welcome to Gam Jabbar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name is Abu. My name is Leo. And Leo. Ah, it's sad. Here we are. <laughs> It's kind of, yeah, it's a little sad. Yeah. It's always a little bit sad ending one of these book club runs, but here we are <laughs> yeah. rounding out our Children of Dune book club series, the final mailbag episode. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, everybody, thank you so much for joining us on this journey, on this, yeah. <laughs> this ride. Uh, one of my favorite books of all time and genuinely so much fun to go through as we've heard from you throughout the series. We've got some great questions today, but also just throughout, we got some great thoughts, memes. We got so many pet pictures. It was delightful. Yeah. I, I love you all. <laughs> You're all great. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. This is getting too emotional already. No. <laughs> <laughs> but Hey, before we start shedding tears, right? Let's, Make shout out Mapes proud and take care of our housekeeping. Right. Right off the bat, a spoiler warning for today's mailbag episode. Today will be spoiler free for anything beyond the first three books. So as long as you've done all the reading along with us and have completed Children of Dune, you're good to go for today. Indeed. Now, the best way, as always, to support the show is to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash gamjabar. Golly, need I even list the reasons why? I will anyway. <laughs> Ad-free episodes, bonus clips, bloopers, and an invite to our exclusive Discord server. Yes. And of course, huge shout out, as always, to our Quisats Hatterack level patrons, Case Aiken, Matthew Good, gentlemen, although our... <laughs> Tributes to you have grown more and more explicit as the episodes have <laughs> continued. Uh, our appreciation for you has not wavered once. Yes. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And a quick reminder that another great way to support us 
is to check out our merch store at gomjabartshop.com. We've got art, we've got hoodies, we've got t-shirts, a tote bag, mugs, and so much more. Now's the time, folks. Don't walk. Run to gomjabartshop.com. Sprint without rhythm. Quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Also, this may be the final mailbag for the Children of Dune book club series, but we also will be going back to doing regular mailbags on the main feed. So, hey, if you have a question, a comment, an observation, a musing, whimsical Mm -hmm. or not, feel free to email us. (laughs) Gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com is the email address. We welcome your messages. And if they uh, demand a response, we will do so in an upcoming mailbag episode. That's right. Alrighty, on today's episode, here's the game plan. We are going to share some of the amazing emails we've gotten from all of you and try and tackle some of the questions that you have for us about Children of Dune, the wider Dune canon, and some off-topic stuff as well at the end. So, with that having been said, let's take a short break, but don't go anywhere, folks, because we'll be getting into your messages right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back, everybody. Oh, I'm excited. Let's get into our first email. And our first email today comes from Tyson. And this is an observation about the limits of other memory. Tyson writes, Listening to part five of the Children of Dune book club got me thinking more about other memory and raised some issues. It's my understanding that the genetic memories are only from a person until they conceive the next generation. So, for example, Alia's memories from Jessica would only go as far as Alia's conception. Same for any reverend mother. They wouldn't have the person's later life available in other memory. Or at least, that's how it seems to me. If that's true, there would be a great pool of younger knowledge in other memory but not much in the way of older, wiser knowledge. Thinking that way, other memory doesn't seem nearly as useful as I initially thought. Don't get me wrong, that's still a lot of past experience to draw upon, but there is so much one learns later in life that wouldn't be available. Now, I might have that completely wrong, so please correct me. (laughs) After all, it does seem that Alia has the Baron's persona as he was when he died, not at the time of Jessica's conception. I think I just pulled something thinking about this. (laughs) Would love to hear your thoughts. And that's the end of Tyson's message. What a great email. (laughs) Yeah, really. Tyson has given some incredible thought to other memory, which in and of itself is a deeply confusing concept and hard to understand even on a reread. And Tyson here has pointed out one other facet that seemingly other memory is passed on from the point of conception, so there would be no quote-unquote old memories in there. Tyson has the broad strokes of that correct, 
But as always, with everything in the Dune universe, there is some nuance that is worth calling out. Yeah. So basically, memories of individuals are imprinted upon their cells, which are passed on at the moment of conception to their descendants. We get a few quotes throughout this book about that. And Benny Gesserit, who go through what would eventually be known as the Spice Agony, have conscious access to those memories of their ancestors. And most people that we're talking about here are Benny Gesserit Reverend Mothers, who only have conscious access to their female memories, uh, their female ancestor memories. Mm-hmm. That being said, Tyson, something to keep in mind. You're right. These days, if I looked back on all of, let's say I became a Kwisatz Haderach, I would have this insane pool of like younger than 40-year-old people who are having kids, right? And yeah, lots of life lessons come when you're 50, when you're 60, when you're 70. A lot of wisdom, a lot of nuance, a lot of subtlety. Those things would not be available to me if I were a Kwisatz Haderach today. Sure, but wanted to point out something here. In Dune, by the time we begin the first book, People live so fucking long in this book. People live so long. So this idea of what pool of knowledge is available to them, I think should be adjusted a little bit. Like, Thufir is 120 years old at the beginning of Dune. Right. And across all of Frank's books, we actually get reference to people living for as long as 300 years. So you can imagine that like the window for having kids is also something that's changed between 2022 and 10,191 AG. Also factoring in Benny Gesserit metabolic control, I would be willing to bet that Benny Gesserit are actually able to conceive pretty late in life if needed, right? Like these breeding sisters. I wouldn't be surprised if Reverend Mothers are having kids in their 50s, in their 60s, in their 70s, maybe even their 80s or 90s. So the pool of experience is a much bigger one than it might seem if we're thinking about today's lifespan, if that makes sense. Yeah, that lifespan is such a great note, Leo. That's a huge factor in what kinds of memories get passed on. Yeah. They have much longer lifespans, and thus more of that memory can be passed on I did want to also address the other part of Tyson's question about Alia and the Baron and how the Baron is seemingly a different kind of memory. Yeah. And the thing to remember there is Alia's experience in all of this is different than your average Benny Jesuit reverend mother who has undergone the spice agony. We've talked at length about how Paul, Leto, Ganema, Alia are all so unique in this universe because of their mix of genetics, because of Leto Ganema Alia's preborn nature. They have access to unprecedented powers. So when it comes to the Baron, he is this inner voice within Alia. And we're even told in the book that these inner personas, while they have their own characteristics and their own qualities, are also shaped by the person's memory of them. So the clearer Leto, Kanima remember their father, the clearer he is as an inner voice in their minds. And thanks to their genetic memory, they can almost perfectly recall most of their ancestry. Right. So keeping that in mind, Aliyah doesn't have the Baron's 
memories because she can't access that male side of her genetic memory. But his persona has sort of brute forced his way to the front of her inner voices. And as we see throughout the story of Children of Dune, has wrestled for control of both the inner voices and literally physically of Alia herself. Right. So that's a potential in-universe lore explanation for why the Baron is different in Alia's memory than other genetic memory would be for your average Benny Gesserit, who can only remember it up until the point of conception. Right. And wrapping up, kind of looking at the overall message that Tyson sent us, I did want to highlight and really kind of applaud the takeaway that Tyson had regarding that the other memory is not exactly the superpower you might think it is. Yeah, we've said it before on the podcast, but nothing in Dune is black and white. Nothing is objectively good and bad. Other memory falls into that as well. It's sometimes a superpower and other times a curse. Totally. Such a good thing to uh, kind of reflect on now that this book is done. So thank you, Tyson. What a good question. Thank you, Tyson. Okay, moving on to our second question today. This one's about Leto II's intentions in Children of Dune from Matthew. Matthew writes, quote, The end of the book was a complete mindfuck. <laughs> yeah, I've yep. been turning over Leto's words and his choices over and over, trying to make sense of them. It's hard work. A lot of what Leto says about time and the future reads like he's been inhaling a little too much spice. But I think part of this is intentional. Leto is a god, and in many religions, the thoughts and actions of God are incomprehensible to humans. That said, I see some contradiction in Leto. Before his transformation, he emphasizes the need for dynamism and diversity to propel humanity forward. However, his plan for humanity is to force them into 3,500 years of stagnation? How will this prepare them for Kralizek? Under the peaceful era of Paul's rule, the Fremen moved further away from their instincts, so I don't see how Leto's plan will preserve humankind. But then again, he is a prescient super worm boy, so I guess we all have to take his word for it. End quote. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> what a great question, Matthew. Thank you for emailing us your thoughts. His email contained many other thoughts about the book as well. Before. We answer this question, though, a bit of a caveat, because it's important to know that there is still much more to be learned about the Golden Path in future books. We are not told everything there is to know in Children of Dune. Right. So that being said, though, on today's episode, we are going to obviously keep our answer spoiler free and not say anything about future books, but just know that there is more to be learned about the golden path. So it is okay that if you, like Matthew, finished Children of Dune and were like, (laughs) I don't really know what the golden path is. Yeah, That's an okay feeling to have. We all had it at this point on our first read-throughs. Word for word, my reaction to ending the book. I'm like, cool, 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 cool. What? (laughs) I don't know what that means. Uh, Right, right. It's it's, uh, intentionally vague at this point. Like, you can infer quite a bit, but we will learn more later. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so with that caveat aside, 
for starters, I do want to say that, Matthew, you are absolutely correct that Leto is basically a god at this point. <laughs> yeah. And much of what he knows and what he does is incomprehensible to the average Dune citizen. By the end of the book, the Fremen tribes are like swearing fealty to him because they've seen him walk on hot coals and toss around entire highlighters. <laughs> yeah. So obviously we as the reader aren't exactly the average Dune citizen. We get to peek inside his thoughts every now and then. And we, as the reader, know more about Leto than anyone in the galaxy. Right. Even his closest analog, which would be his sister. He even keeps secrets from her, as he tells us in the book. And wife, sister and wife. <laughs> oh, that that's a thank you for clarifying that gross detail. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Again, keeping it accountable for the slightly weird book it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Totally. Totally. Now, that having been said, even though we as the reader are privileged to Leto's thoughts, that still doesn't mean that we get to understand all of them, obviously. Frank is leaving a lot of loose threads for us to ponder, to answer in future books, and to theorize about. So it is worth noting that Leto is operating at a level that is honestly above any other human in existence. So it's hard enough to just even wrap our thoughts around uh, what he is doing and how he's doing it. Yeah. Like, let's take a look at a couple of moments in the reading, in the book, because there is sort of an apparent contradiction, or at least there's, we have been told throughout these first three books of Frank that stagnation is death, it's the enemy, it's the worst, it's bad. And yep, <laughs> when he's talking to the preacher and we get this moment, it could seem contradictory to that could seem completely opposing quote thousands of peaceful years leto said that's what i'll give them dormancy stagnation of course <laughs> and those forms of violence which i permit it'll be a lesson which humankind will never forget end quote whoa i <laughs> really listen. like turned into a qvc announcer there at the end <laughs> almost like the power only three easy payments <laughs> oh what was that guy's name the sham wow guy uh the sham wow guy yeah oh, oh god fuck. was he just the sham wow guy what no, was his name no Rick? he had a name because he was always like okay hey there <laughs> anyway <laughs> only three easy payments of dormancy and stagnation <laughs> preacher's like can you not shout we're standing right next to each other the <laughs> <laughs> son lifeless corpse is 20 feet away yeah it's he's using this word lesson right he's saying stagnation is what i'm going to deliver to humanity and it's going to be a lesson which humankind will never forget there's another line he says so long as a single human is alive they will always remember this thing this thing will always yep. be part of their experience and to a degree we can infer that leto's plans involve basically creating this authoritarian regime this rule that humanity will forever fear and hate yeah yep you know clearly paul upsetting the status quo didn't do enough for humanity Leto is realizing, looking at his visions, his prescient dreams. So he's really kind of forcing this 
burn yourself on the hot pan to kind of finally convince yourself to buy mittens, right? Like, right, yeah, right. You're like, yeah. well, fuck, I had like nine burns since the last time I baked something. Maybe I'll get protective wear. Yeah. And is that cool? Is that nice of him? Is this the best way for him to teach humanity this lesson? Uh, debatable. But as you said, Matthew, Leto is at this point, he's transcended the sort of base level of consciousness that we are so used to uh, dealing with, with these characters. And as basically a god, he's making these decisions not lightly and based on millions of years of experience, basically. Right. So I guess, who are we to question him? We just have to hope that our wormy boy knows what he's doing as he attempts to sell the preacher a golden path for three easy payments of stagnation, <laughs> dormancy, and uh, peace. Yeah. No, boy. <laughs> All right. So to wrap up this question from Matthew, we did want to leave everyone with this final quote about Kralizek from the book in a conversation that Leto II has with Faradin in the final chapter. Right. Quote, Who will survive Kralizek? Leto said. I promise you, Kralizek will come. You're a madman. You will shatter the empire. Of course I will. And I'm not a man. But I'll create a new consciousness in all men. It is time humans learned once more to live in their instincts. End quote. I love that. What a better quote than fear is the mind killer. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. More hints as to Leto's true intentions, right? Create a new consciousness for man. Humanity will once again learn to live in their instincts. Oh, what a great little, what a great point. Thank you for the question, Matthew. Yes. Thank you, Matthew. Now, our next question, our next message comes from Alphonse about monopolies in the Duniverse. Alphonse writes, quote, with the recent Sook School episode, this came to mind. I am not sure if it's the limit on his world building or a feature that Frank put in, but the sheer amount of monopoly going on. Ekaz, I understand. It's this weird fucked up planet that has all this magical, mystical, fucked up shit. And Dune, the planet being the place for spice, it's understandable. But there being only one school for medical doctors? Four question marks. <laughs> a single place for sword masters? Three question marks. Just seems like a weird thing going on. So, wanted to hear the host's thoughts. <laughs> End quote. The host. Wow. I, th I think right. Alphonse. Yeah, we have names, okay? Jeez. We're not just the ShamWow guys. <laughs> yeah. Hey there, Alphonse. We're here <laughs> to sell you some bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I think Alphonse really hates monopolies based on the number of question marks in this quote. <laughs> I love so it. so offended. <laughs> and you know what? Alphonse is not entirely wrong either, right? Dune has a lot of monopolies. Uh, we, we did a whole fucking episode on the Spacing Guild and how they basically have clamped down on interstellar travel. Right. You want to go anywhere on a vacation with your kids? You better pony up those Spacing Guild fees to Disneyland. Now, part of this is because so many of the factions that we talk about in the Dune universe are very, very good at guarding their quote-unquote secret sauce, right? 
the thing that yeah. gives them the edge uh-huh. in the marketplace, the thing that makes it so that they can monopolize an entire industry and make themselves the only one capable of it. Right. A lot of these factions are great at holding on to their great secret. Mentats, how do you train them? Nobody knows, except <laughs> yeah. for the school of Mentats. Right. Now, obviously, the Tilelaxu love to throw a bit of a monkey wrench in all of this. They're <laughs> out here reverse engineering a lot of products, yeah. right? They're like, oh, you got a monopoly on Mentats? Here's some twisted ones. <laughs> Would be a shame if someone were to make twisted Mentats. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and as we discussed in our Souk Doctor episode, eventually the Tilelaxu ended up doing the same thing with Souk Doctors and creating twisted, corrupted Souk doctors who were capable of killing. So obviously some of these technologies are not so foolproof that they can't be reverse engineered by the sneaky Tleilaxu. But yes, Dune has an overrepresentation of monopolies. That is true. That being said, let's keep in mind what we talked about in that Souk School episode, right? First, fully conditioned Souk doctors are wildly expensive. <laughs> so it's a monopoly, but also like a monopoly on Japanese folded steel chef knives. It's like, I don't think it's really <laughs> impacting that many people, right? And even just the number of houses in the Lancerad, as we learned, who can afford them is pretty limited. Mm-hmm. There isn't a huge demand because they're just so prohibitively expensive. So that's something to keep in mind. Like this is a very niche product. There isn't this wide demand for souk doctors specifically yeah that's a great point leo like it's it is worth remembering that the institutions that we talk the most about and that we know the most about are the most powerful and influential ones in the dune universe like they're the ones that are shaping human affairs over thousands even tens of thousands of years and thus they are the ones that we know the most about and have the most recorded history yeah exactly but there are still your everyday side practitioner schools or your Ming practitioner training academies, those exist. It's just that the books and the encyclopedia can't possibly tell us about every single medical school or every single swordmaster academy out there. And so we end up only knowing about the ones that have the biggest impact on history and have the most recorded history. Right. Now, I also want to point out stepping out of the lore from a meta sense Alphonse said this in the message as well, but this is also just a practical limit of world building a fictional universe, right? Like when you're coming up with something, you can't possibly write about every single facet of it. It is impressive. We have so much doing lore in the first place. Right. And that so much of it has been written about in the encyclopedia and the extended canon in Frank's own works. That is a deep well of lore and world building that has breathed life into this podcast (laughs) yeah no kidding but alas we'll never know everything there is to know about that universe of course right right man it's almost like i wish the owner of the dune like the frank herbert estate would Uh uh, uh encourage expansion of these ideas instead of heavily gatekeeping prime canonicity and writing shit books and okay yes anyway <laughs> louder for the folks in the back and the for the folks at hbo hires i i know we will be <laughs> lore experts or something script 
What's it, what is it? What would it be? It would be Spice Daddies is the title I would demand. <laughs> in the, Put that on my business card, HBO. In the credit scroll, it's a different color font. And they're like, how did they do that? <laughs> right. It's Comic Sans. It's bright orange. <laughs> oh, my God. The most unsanctimonious of fonts. I know. Oh, anyway, I think the Monopoly comment is spot on. But it's also just yeah. inevitable in such a vast universe, right? Like right, right. people are experimenting on their own. They're finding some wild, crazy technique. They're refining it to death and then they're monetizing it. And thus a monopoly is born. Also in today, years, 2022, 2023. Yeah. Look at how many fucking monopolies are developing. We have this like really problematic trend toward four companies owning everything it's again another moment of maybe frank being a little too prescient for his own good truly uh, we don't even have to get to 10,191 ag it'll be like 2027 and we're going to have alphabet apple and i don't know <laughs> <laughs> GameStop. yeah GameStop and whatever company owns sham wow <laughs> hey there selling monopolies to you for three easy payments of no fucking other options <laughs> you're going to give us those payments bitch <laughs> With Alphonse's great question out of the way, his incredulity about monopolies out of the way, we're going to take a quick ad break here. But stick around. When we're back, we're going to be talking about broader topics based on your questions. So hang around. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. Welcome back, everybody. Let's continue with your incredible messages and emails. Next up, we have a bold question from Joe about what we don't like about Dune. Mm -hmm. Quote, what are the cringiest things in the Dune books? Mm. The things that aren't so awesome. You guys are very positive and love the books. I also love the books. And I think the cringeworthy things make the story funny as a fan, and can be very enlightening on the ways this story unintentionally weaves Frank into the novel. I think of his views on gender, his late arrow horny levels, his sci-fi genre tropes, like characters referring to 20th century Earth, and his specific views on politics. To me, the negatives of these things adds to the idiosyncrasies of the story, and I wonder how you two would view these stories if the things you didn't like weren't there or slash were fixed? End quote. Yeah. What a great question. Yeah. Cringeworthy things. Fear is the mind killer being the most popular quote. Hello. Uh, <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> kidding, kidding, kidding. Well, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, Abu. So 
from Joe's question, what are what are the things that kind of come to mind for you? Yeah, no, th- th- this is a fun question because it sort of turns our usual geekiness for Dune on its head a little bit. We aren't shy about criticizing the things we don't think work. We've brought many of those topics up before on the podcast. But for the most part, I agree with Joe's list here in this email. Everything from those antiquated views on gender to the uncomfortable levels of horniness that eventually seep their way into the book. All of that, yes, can definitely be a bit cringy, can definitely be a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. We've discussed some of these topics on the podcast before, but I wanted to bring something new to the table that I don't think I've explicitly stated on the record. Mm. So here we go. Agam Jabbar first, an exclusive. (laughs) This isn't necessarily something that I think is cringy, but it's certainly something that bothers me. It annoys me how rushed the final acts of almost every single one of Frank's books feel. Yeah, He repeatedly does this. The final act of Dune, the final act of Dune Messiah, the final act of Children of Dune, which we just read. Yeah, All of these books have very long sort of intros and setups and opening acts. And then we get into this nice, juicy, fun middle section where a lot of things are happening and the chess pieces are moving all around the board. And then we hit like (laughs) the climax, like the last hundred pages and shit just goes into hyperspeed. Like, time skips happening <laughs> yeah. left and right we like people are just like suddenly dying stuff is just like happening off page we're told in hindsight that like a pivotal event that would have been like trending on twitter <laughs> happened like last yeah. week off page it's just all like feels very rushed and obviously there are some intentional artful decisions being made right like that's an oversimplification of one of the best sci-fi authors ever to just be like, duh, he doesn't know how to end his stories. (laughs) Right, right. Obviously, he was very intentional with the way he ended his stories, but it does sometimes feel like Frank didn't like ending his stories, which I can relate to. Yeah. And so he kind of just did it as quickly as possible at the end or didn't know how to pace out the end to be 100% perfectly satisfying. The guy sure as hell knows how to build up tension and set the scene and... (laughs) Yeah, get yeah. all the complicated pieces on the chessboard in the right place. All of that is incredible. And he knocks it out of the park. But I do feel like something that bothers me about almost all of the books is just how quickly the endings happen and how often things are just happening off the page. That may be a hot take, but there it is, folks. No, I listen, I'm right there with you. I also I love your analogy of the chess match because it feels like, like you said, these first three books the first two thirds we're watching every move we're like getting commentary the tactics yeah what's this guy doing why Ooh, this is so mysterious and then it's like we're gonna go to a commercial break on this chess match coverage (laughs) and it comes back and there's like three dead tigers the board's on fire (laughs) and the other participants now uh, an octopus monster and you're like i feel like i missed something (laughs) (laughs) sir right Right. (laughs) you know it, it's a, it's definitely interesting, and it catches a lot of people off guard, and it catches me off guard every time I re- reread one of the books. Yeah, for sure. So that that's how I would answer Joe's question. I think is I agree with a lot of the things that Joe listed, and that's uh something I've never mentioned on the podcast before. I think mm. the pacing of that final act of every book is just always a little unhinged in a way. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. I am curious about you, though. How, how would you answer Joe's question? <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, uh, I'll reaffirm what you just said. I think there can be some whiplash at times, yeah. uh, especially between the books, like the pacing of Dune and then Dune Messiah felt very different. And I, I we could probably chalk this up to how the books were written. You know, Messiah was like a sit down and write the sequel to Dune endeavor compared to Dune, this serialized publication that came out in peace. Yeah, you know, totally. compare this to like modern fantasy that you can read or modern sci-fi you can read where an author is just writing basically three stories and then breaking it into novels, which some authors do. Just, yeah, pacing is is all over the place. I'll also reiterate what Joe uh, said. Basically, the things that rub me the wrong way very often are the like, yeah, we've got two genders and this is what they mean genetically. And it's like, oh, that just feels so stiff in 2022. Yeah. We are finally having conversations about all genders and, and all ways that people can be. And it's rough when like, some core elements of some pivotal moment in, for instance, Dune. Paul is going, I am this part of man and this part of what? And it's like, oh, God. Yeah. Okay, did this have to be the climax? Did this yeah. have to be like, <laughs> the most important moment in this chapter? So that's a little rough. Right. You know, the, the sexuality stuff also, you know, I'm by no stretch of the imagination a prude. I like when my books get a little spicy. But... Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It gets a little weird sometimes. And yeah. between like Leto, a literal child, being like, I had beef swelling <laughs> thinking about <laughs> uh, uh, this yeah. future. And even right. in Messiah, starting back in Messiah, we had Alia training in the nude. And, and then like Paul and Stilgar being like, yo, what's up? <laughs> right, right. I get the narrative purpose that, yeah, Alia is growing to a certain age and uh, this is going to be a perception of people on Arrakis and, you know, cultures are different, blah, blah, blah. But this is also like normalizing these grown men considering the sexuality of this 16-year-old. <laughs> like, yeah. It's yeah, totally. a very uncomfortable moment on some levels. Mm -hmm. And it, it also just it gets worse, as we saw with Children of Dune, right? Like beef swelling on a <laughs> nine-year-old boy. It's like, I, <laughs> do we need to? Did you need to? Frank, mm -hmm. hey, mm -hmm. Frank, Frank, look at me, Frank, hey, did you need to? <laughs> Was that necessary? No, I didn't fucking think so, Frank. That's why I'm bringing it up. So anyway. Right, right. And then I'll also point out that as I thought broadly about this story that Frank wrote, you know, some other answers to this question may arise over the next few days, and I'm going to kick myself that I didn't mention them. But I'll also say that I realize and I have to acknowledge Frank was like an old white dude, and he was writing this book in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And I'm a white guy. And I think the nature of this is I will read these books and be like, wow, it almost feels like this was written for me. <laughs> and <laughs> that's because it kind of was. <laughs> so yeah. inevitably, I'm going to be blind to some of the issues with the stories and with the book. Um, I think about, like, I really love the Name of the Wind series, and then I talked to my friend about it and she was like yeah except every woman in that book is this like cardboard cut out of a character and i'm like oh i didn't notice i'm sorry <laughs> yeah right right so i i think that i'm inevitably going to be blind to some of the problems with dune and the dune series as a whole beyond what i've talked about already so i'll just 
say clearly that I am I am eager to kind of hear what people the objections people have to the book. Yeah. That's kind of where my head's at there. Yeah. No, I'm really glad you brought that up. That's a great point is um, we're just two people sharing two opinions. Right. Of the countless opinions out there on Dune. Right. Art speaks to everyone in different ways. It may resonate with you in one way. It may make you cringe in another. And that's going to be a little bit different for everyone. Yeah. I mean, actually, and that you brought this up, and I think this is the time to talk about this. The pacing thing I always saw as an intentional shift away from the battles and the fights and the crazy climactic things that we're used to in stories getting center stage as like an important narrative beat. Yeah. That's not Frank's point. Like his point is not the battle, is not the knife fight, is not the stealing of the ornithopter and escaping the smugglers. So narratively, it's like what matters is the shifting of political power. So let's just get to that point because we don't need to spend every moment. But the feeling is still valid and this feeling is still real (laughs) for me as well, where I'm like, wow, we just skipped how many years? <laughs> oh shit. You know, and right. I think maybe he he had a very clear thing in mind and he did that on purpose and it just doesn't land in 2022 with the books that we're used to reading. But you're right. Different opinions, maybe what we're saying here doesn't land at all. But like I love that stuff. It's my favorite part. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's clear Frank was all about the foreplay and the cuddle afterwards, <laughs> not about the action in the middle. Yeah. Not about what it, what takes place in between that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Speaking of horniness. <laughs> you know, the jokes I'm tempted to make, but it, it, instead, I know, I let's know. just say thank you, Joe. What a great question. Indeed. I also, I meant to say, not to keep like adding things to this, generally, I don't necessarily want to be someone who's like putting vitriolic stuff out into the world. I think the world is pretty dark these days. So generally, to address the fact that Joe pointed out that we're usually pretty positive on all this stuff, it's a little bit intentional, I think. I don't know about you, Abu. Yeah. It's like, if we can have fun and kind of say, we can criticize it, but generally focus on why we love it and the joy it brings us, that's also kind of an implicit goal of ours, I would say. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And uh, just wanted to acknowledge that as well. Joe, well spotted. (laughs) <laughs> you called you us out. Us. You are accurate <laughs> in that assessment. <laughs> Indeed. All right, let's move on to our next question. This one is about the first words of the 2021 film from Amanda. Yeah. Quote, in rewatching the movie yet again this past weekend, I was wondering about your take on the opening line. <laughs> Right at the start of the film, it says, (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Great recreation. Thank you. (laughs) It says, Dreams are messages from the deep. I don't get why the Sardaukar would be the ones to say this. I know the language sounds cool, but it doesn't seem to make sense in the context of the story. Thoughts? End quote. Amanda. What a fun question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any excuse to talk about the 2021 movie. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I also have such clear memories, right? Abu, you and I sitting, this was like three weeks before the movie came out yeah. in that screening, like that theater, and just the lights go off and it's that, <laughs> it's like, whoa, this is so cool already. Right, right. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> and Amanda, we have our personal takes, right, on this, but- Before we get into those, I actually wanted to share a fun fan theory Uh that I had not heard 
But in looking into the takes that are out there, I encountered and I thought it was kind of fun, especially now that we finished Children of Dune. Yeah. So, and this might be a good time for the tinfoil hats. <laughs> the fan theory is the whole movie is in Leto 2's head. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Here's how it works. As we know, at the end of Children of Dune, Leto 2 takes the Imperial throne and the remnants of the Sardaukar from Faradin. Yeah. Hence the language of the quote. This is a message from Leto 2 in the language of the Sardaukar that he might have used as he kind of also took control of the Sardaukar. Right. And what we're watching as the movie is him observing his ancestral memories. Whoa! My God. My God. It doesn't makes sense if you think about it at all but right right (laughs) (laughs) golly is that a fun little theory uh yeah i really liked it and and even in thinking about it i was like but then was he really there for baron harkin he's his great his grand oh his great grandfather whoa so overall very fun but let's uh let's talk about our personal takes and yeah abu I'm, i'm curious to hear what you think about this yeah so I'm going to be very transparent here. I don't have much of a home brand theory for this. I, for some reason, have never really given those opening lines much thought. Right. And so, much like you, after reading Amanda's question, I did some research and I found some theories I liked, found some theories I didn't like. One person was like, that's definitely a Spacing Guild member. And I was like, no. No. <laughs> so False. there's definitely some wild theories out there. But yeah, yeah. one thing I wanted to make clear for folks that may not know, this is a 100% film creation. Right. Those words are not stated at any point in Frank's original six books, at least in, you know, that exact sentence. Right. And none of the Sardaukar certainly say those words. So the film opening up in this way is a original creation in addition from Denny and the world building. I think on one level, it's just kind of a cool way to set the tone of the film. Like we hear this really harsh voice and the sentence itself obviously is very thematically resonant with the story of Dune and what Paul and Leto and Ganema and Alia will all experience through their prescient powers. Right. The subtitles do clearly state that it's a Sardaukar voice if you watch the film with subtitles. So that's why I instantly threw out that Space and Guild theory. Yeah. It is a Sardaukar person speaking. And so that also makes me think that it's connected to that ritual scene that we see later on in the film. Yeah. That short scene with Piter. And so maybe, again, like, this is a very simplistic take for me, but, like, maybe all we heard in the opening of the film is just a part of that ritual that we see later on. And perhaps it was just a creative decision from Denny and the team to do some fun world building, give the Sardaukar a voice, give them a phrase that's there to own that also sort of thematically fits with the story and sets the tone for the movie that we're all about to sit down and watch. So that's sort of my take on it. Perhaps a bit simplistic, but it is hard for me to believe a lot of the more crackpot theories out there. Yeah, yeah. I think it's probably... A bit more simple than that, but right, right. I do want to hand over the mic to you because I know you are the king <laughs> of tinfoil hat theories. So I'm yeah. interested to hear your thoughts on these opening lines. 
you know, I, I didn't even take it off after I talked about the, uh, <laughs> the first one. Yeah, I, I did see a, a theory that this was a tip of the hat to um, David Lynch because David Lynch does, uh, writes, I guess, Twin Peaks, right? And Oh, okay. Yeah. I haven't watched it, but what I was seeing online is that a big theme is, is dreams as messages. Uh, so that is also another little possibility. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I tried my best to be kind of comprehensive in the way I approached this question. And at first I was focused on what the message is overall, because we know it's in Sardaukar. We actually hear the same audio clip is repeated a slightly different tempo on the Seleucus Secundus scene. It, I, it took like 20 minutes and I pulled them into logic and it was a pain in the ass. <laughs> but it is part of like, it is a series of sounds and phonemes that are repeated in on Seleucus Secundus. So it is Sardaukar. Yeah. Which adds an element to Amanda's question. It adds an element of plot confusion for me as well. If it is being said, chanted at the Sardaukar before they attack Arrakis. Is this a ceremonial saying? Is this of ceremonial significance to the Sardaukar? This idea of dreams being messages from the deep and why? Because like Sardaukar are such pragmatic warriors. <laughs> They're from a fucking prison planet. How much is Emperor Shaddam IV really encouraging them to search their dreams for messages? You know, like there is a weird unalignment there. Yeah. But you know, looking at it from a storytelling perspective, I don't know. I don't know how much I want to like try to make it make sense coming from a Sardaukar, like as a Sardaukar belief, or how much I want it to just be a part of the movie watching experience. Because naturally, this is a core theme of Dune, right? Like how much dreams and prescience and and what is real is is core to the the books, and also in the right. movie we get Duncan Idaho saying, you know. Dreams are good stories, but what matters is what you do when you're awake, right? And right, right. These kind of juxtaposed opinions that we have prescience and dreaming as significant, and then we also have uh, it doesn't matter if they're just visions; they they have no meaning. And Paul then having to decide how he reconciles these differences as he takes the throne in a you know however he does. You know, I I did find a quote from Joe Walker, who was the movie's editor, and he was talking about this opening moment. And he was talking about how they opened, how they started the movie. And we know that there were multiple ways that they intended to start the movie. I think one of the earliest cuts of the movie had a whole sequence of Duncan Idaho arriving on Arrakis and meeting the Fremen, and that was kind of the cold open. Um, but it, here's this quote, and I think this maybe shifts my opinion that it's not so much significant from a lore standpoint with Sardaukar saying this as it is just a movie decision, right? Quote, We felt at one point it would be a good way to start the film with some hostile, aggressive dialogue, but it's actually a throat singer who Hans recorded and did all sorts of transformations to, and we loved it. There was, at one stage, a longer version of that bloodthirsty poem at the beginning, we go into a dream vision of a battle between the Fremen and the Harkonnen while we set up the idea of spice. I think in the end we got the optimum way of starting the film, but really there are so many ways of doing it, and we considered most of them. End quote. Wow. So again, coming from Joe Walker, the editor of the movie. Yeah. 
I don't see him focusing in this on the lore elements of what are the broader implications of a Sardaukar saying the words, the dream, dreams are a message from the deep, right? It seems like they're more thinking about how to introduce these narrative elements. And uh, part of me thinks it's probably then just a practical decision. Yeah, totally. I don't know. I am a little tempted to like go full tinfoil <laughs> and be like, okay, what does it mean? What does it mean canonically? Yeah, <laughs> Sardaukar. Yeah have a deep belief system built on dream interpretation. You know, I, don't, <laughs> it, I could see myself doing that for like 35 minutes. I won't because I, I do think based on what Joe Walker was saying that it is probably more practical decision, um, which is the most boring answer I could give to all of this. Right. <laughs> but that being said, listen, if you out there in listener land have an idea for why it makes sense that Sardaukar specifically in the Sardaukar language on Seleucus Secundus to be chanting dreams or messages from the deep to all of their comrades before going into battle. I want to hear your theories. Let's all collectively bend over backwards to make this make sense because <laughs> regardless of why they did it, they did do it. And I would love to have a really solid answer to this. So I'm going to think about it. You know, we can chat about this in discord. Um, yeah. Anyway, that, those are my thoughts, yeah. as scattered and messy as that was. Right. And if your theory is that it's a Spacing Guild member, You're post wrong. that on Reddit. Don't, yeah. don't email that to us. <laughs> don't, we will block <laughs> your email address if you send us that. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you for the question, Amanda. Always fun to revisit the film, which I'm very excited to rewatch over and over again as we ramp up for part two in yeah. 2023 they wrapped production recently did you see that oh, so exciting they're officially in post oh my oh, god oh my god joe walker get fucking back to work joe <laughs> <laughs> stop being interviewed get, go go work <laughs> release the movie 11 months early Do it. <laughs> release it tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> no work-life balance for you joe well next up we have a question from Noah. And this is about how we kind of found Dune. Here's what Noah says. Quote, I'm curious about both of your very first bumps into the Dune universe and how they snowballed into make a podcast level fandom. For me, I saw the early teaser photo of Paul on the beach and I knew it was something my dad liked in the 80s. I'm into hobby board games, so when I saw the Shut Up and Sit Down review of the Dune board game a few days later, I clicked, liked the review, bought the game, read the book, and the rest is history. End quote. Wow. That's so cool. Man, it is always so interesting to me how people find themselves yeah. fans of the Dune universe. Because board yeah. games is not something that I would have guessed. No, <laughs> me neither. Like a promo photo <laughs> of Paul on the beach and then board games. Right, like a, a YouTube video about a Dune board game. And then here's Noah emailing his favorite Dune podcasters. <laughs> you love to see it. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting way into the into the fandom. Yeah, no doubt. Um, well, Abu, how did uh, how did you uh, we've kind of talked about this, actually. I mean, we talked about how we started the podcast, I think, in one of the previous mailbags. Right. But how did you kind of first encounter Dune? Yeah, we've mentioned this from time to time, but to set the record straight, Noah, 
Yeah. I first <laughs> board game fan Noah. <laughs> if that's what you really are, if that's your real name, <laughs> no, no. In, in all seriousness, I have always been an avid reader. I still am. Um, reading is one of my favorite hobbies, especially sci-fi and fantasy. Please send me all your I'll recommendations. And <laughs> a bit of a humble brag. And so I first read Dune many years ago, like over a decade ago as a teenager, probably from my local library book where I just scoured the sci-fi section for anything that looked cool or sounded cool. Yeah. And I came across Dune and I read it. And I remember really enjoying the book, but I will say it wasn't life-changing at that time. Sure. Like I read Dune and then never revisited it and didn't even know there was a whole series. Just one and done, read the book, enjoyed it, moved on. And it wasn't until I reread it very recently on a whim, like I can't remember exactly when, maybe like 2017, 2018, I reread Dune on a whim before the film was announced. Right. Just wanted to revisit some of my favorite sci-fi books. And that's when I dove deeper into the universe, explored more of the books and the wider canon and found myself falling in love with it. And then shortly thereafter, the film got announced. We saw that incredible photo of Paul on the beach. Yeah. And much like Noah, I was in it to win it. Yeah. As you said, we already shared our podcast origin story in a previous mailbag episode. But again, once that film was announced, I reached out to you. We started working on some stuff together and bada bing, bada boom. You know, here we are, Gamja Bar, <laughs> two years later. And Dune has become at least 85% of my personality now, for better or worse. <laughs> so that's sort of my trajectory with the Dune franchise is came across it right. many years ago, liked it, and then forgot about it until I revisited it on a whim just uh, four or five years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What, what about you? How did you first come across the Dune universe? Well, I mean, at some point in childhood... <laughs> in the 90s or early aughts no you you mean the 50s or 60s oh right yeah when, you, when i was when a you kid were a child in the 1600s <laughs> i it was on grown. i <laughs> i was on the back of my horse-drawn carriage uh when the local newspaper boy went hear ye hear ye new story about sand and worms and i and i threw a, a, a nickel the size of a dinner plate that's how big they were back then at the town crier and uh, nearly took his head off but was yeah, yeah, enraptured yeah, yeah. by what i read on that piece of animal skin parchment because we didn't have paper yet <laughs> right on, on the papyrus <laughs> yeah paper hadn't been invented yet in the 1600s <laughs> and we used u.s nickels but they were very big <laughs> i love this alternate reality it takes me back <laughs> very much someone who did not pay attention to history class like <laughs> trying to bullshit their way through uh right, right. yeah and then we all had left shoes only because right shoes didn't come around till the 60s <laughs> uh no i okay when i was a child whenever that was <laughs> at some point i saw uh lynch's film and was confused and unimpressed i was like yeah kind of weird sound guns yeah. all right my yeah. my name is a killing word uh 
hindsight clearly went over my head. Clearly I didn't get it. It was, <laughs> it was not aimed toward me as it turns right. out. Um, and honestly, like how I got from that level of generally ambivalent to the like raving fanatic that I am now, it really began with Abu bringing up the idea of this podcast because at that, even at that point, I hadn't yet really like meticulously picked through the pages of Dune the way that I now have uh, and continue to do so until the day I die. So it, it was really, I went from like, was generally aware of, of it as a, as an IP had, yeah, experienced the story, but it barely remembered it. You know, I also, I read so many books, an impressive number of books I read, uh, in childhood <laughs> and teenage years. Uh, I can't even remember if I read it when I was younger, but in any case, with the beginning of the podcast, it was uh, full steam ahead. And for the last three years, I've only read three books, four books that are not Dune related. Right, right. In the last like two and a half years, three years. I also will point out, I fell in love obviously with the books and we were writing our scripts and we were doing our research. Weirdly, the second thing I really loved was the 92 video game because I like went in the way back machine and I played it on a, in like a web browser incredible yeah i then spent like 400 500 on dune collectible cards <laughs> from the 90s that are out of print you love to see it and a bunch of other shit so i i definitely went off the deep end and i appreciate that uh i appreciate noah that you got there through the board game because i also if i had only like read the first book and then seen the collectible card game i would have been a very similar story i think uh yeah anyway in some ways, I'm, I'm kind of jealous, honestly, of people who today can like very casually watch Denis Villeneuve's adaptation of this first part of Dune and just have this whole universe that they can dive into. Yeah. It's such a cool time to jump be, on the bandwagon. It's, uh, yeah, it's a good horse-drawn bandwagon. <laughs> Bring your nickels. Bring your giant nickels. Also, <laughs> like Dune Awakening, it's like gameplay trailer came out and that looks so fucking good. So, yeah, very, very exciting time. I'm yeah. jealous of everyone's experiences. Um, but yeah, here we are. We made it. <laughs> we did it. Thanks for the question, Noah. And thanks for the curiosity in our origin story with Dune and the Dune universe and falling in love with it. Indeed. Well, let's wrap up today's episode. And yes, we will wrap this up as we often do with a more off-topic, fun, you know, whatever question yeah. from our guy, Alphonse, also from Discord. And here's the question. I think this is great. What is your favorite place you've traveled to or want to travel to? That's the question. And Love it. Listen, happy to talk about it. But also, we think it would be fun to uh, also throw in like, okay, Real world and also Dune, right? Like, so answering the question twice, but Dune and and real world. Yeah, for sure. So, Abu, mm -hmm. hit me with it. What is your favorite place you've traveled to or, or in Dune? Where do you want to travel to? Oh, man. Both. Go. <laughs> All right. So I'll, I'll start with my favorite real place first. Sure. I visited Tokyo for like a week-long work thing yeah. back in 2018. And it's not an understatement for me to say that I haven't stopped thinking about it since. <laughs> yeah. 
at least every couple of days, I'm like, oh man, Tokyo is great. I got to go back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And as many of our listeners will know, we're big anime fans. Mm -hmm. So obviously going to Tokyo for the first time in 2018 was so much fun as an anime fan. Like I was geeking out in areas like Akihabara, which is this like nerd central part of the city. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually won a Charmander in an arcade on my final night in Tokyo Aww. in Akihabara. So, which I still have. I have this little plushy hey. Charmander that I won there. The best Gen 1 starter, hands down. Hell yes. Hell yes. <laughs> now, the reasons I loved Tokyo were something about the vibes of it all just like really spoke to me. Yeah. Like Tokyo is very clean. It's very organized. It's weirdly a peaceful and calm place for like a bustling metropolis of a city, right? It's one of the <laughs> most populated cities in the world. Compared to like New York. Right. Like I can't help but imagine someone from like Missouri going to Tokyo and being like, what the fuck was Abu talking about? <laughs> oh, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That's very good context. Thank you for that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. As someone who lives in New York City of all places. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just Tokyo <laughs> suddenly feels very calm and peaceful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. If you like live in the wilderness of Montana in your <laughs> log cabin, you know, w with your like beautiful witch wife. Yeah. Tokyo's maybe not going to do it for you. I'm like, I'm in Tokyo. I haven't seen a rat the size of a French bulldog knife fighting a homeless man. <laughs> like, what a peaceful, calm city this is. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Very important context. Thank you for that. Yes. As a New Yorker, there's something about the city really spoke to me. And, yeah. you know, again, I still have to respect, like, the cleanliness of it. Like, I've been to very few cities of that size that are that clean and that organized and that well-maintained. Yeah. It's obvious that Japan puts a lot of money into its infrastructure. Yeah. There's also a lot about Japanese culture that I admire. I always joke that Japanese culture is like very OCD and that pleases my OCD very much. <laughs> yeah, like sure, the, sure. The, the way you put your chopsticks is very specific and the way you like fold your washcloth is very specific and the apartments and hotels are all very small. So things are like so creatively cramped and folded up and whatever into little corners. Something about that is like, is like very calming and peaceful to me. Something about that efficiency makes my soul happy. Yeah. And so it was fun to like really immerse myself in that on the trip to Tokyo. So I think about it often. The pandemic happened. So it's been years, but I am desperately trying to find another excuse to go back to Tokyo sometime soon. I'll admit also that I've even fantasized a little bit about maybe one day leaving this whole podcast nonsense behind and changing my name and changing my face and starting uh -huh. a brand new life in Japan. All right. All right. Maybe maybe I'll go under the moniker of Sightail. I mean, one of those three things is a lot easier than the other two. Yeah, but sure. Yeah, it'll be tough to leave the podcast nonsense behind, I think, for sure. <laughs> yeah. The changing your face. That's the easy one. That's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's my answer to one of my favorite places that I've ever traveled to is, is Tokyo, Japan. I'd love to explore the rest of the country as well. I had some friends on that trip who went to Kyoto, but I had some work stuff and I right, couldn't make right. it out to Kyoto and I desperately want to go. So Japan 2023, maybe. Hell yeah. Now, when it comes to a place in Dune that I'd like to visit, it goes without saying that the obvious pick is Gamont. Like, that's just my default answer. But, Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what I will say, I think I'd love to go visit 
Paul's keep in Arakeen, specifically at the height of his reign, a little bit before Dune Messiah. I would love to visit Arakeen, see the keep, yeah, yeah, and, and see the state of the city, right? The state of the new capital of the Imperium. <laughs> Squinting up at the uh, at the figure, and you're like, "Is that fucking Paul or is that Corpa?" <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. He's got right, his arms he's so out. far away. Right, <laughs> totally. He's robed. You can't see his face. <laughs> yeah. You take a selfie, and you're like, "I think that was a selfie with Paul Atreides." I'm not sure. I'm just gonna say it was. <laughs> 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 but I, I think it would be so cool. Like, just imagine the bustling capital that you'd be in under this like messianic rule. Uh, you you would genuinely see like some of the coolest shit in the city from all across the empire, right? And I imagine the keep obviously is described as this enormous fucking building. Like the keep probably like always looming in the background as you're walking around Arakeen, getting your little doodads and your trinkets. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of the keep, also. I hope there's like keep tours, right? Oh, yeah. Because again, the keep is described as like almost so hilariously big that it's hard to imagine. Right. Yeah. At at one point, someone's like, you could fit a whole town in this keep. This is the biggest structure ever, ever made by humanity. Yeah. Yeah. And I like to witness that I think would be something special. (laughs) The throne room itself in the books is described as this like colossal fucking room with the longest walk up ever to the throne, you know, like you're supposed to be sweating bullets by the time you reach Paul at the throne at the front right, of the room. Right. Uh, so all of that would be very, very cool to see. And and then, of course, the last thing I'll say is I, I think the plaza outside the keep and outside of Ali's temple is always described in the books as just like full of people and always this like bustling marketplace where there's like sexy dancers <laughs> dancing about in honor of Alia. I'd love to go check that out too. Yeah. For obviously for the, the I heart Arakeen t-shirts. Yeah. 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 The trinket, not the, not the sexy dancers. No, no, no. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Just, just some souvenirs for my friends back home. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so that's my answer. I, I, I'd, I'd love to go see Paul's keep at the height of his power on Arakeen. I love the audio tour is like on this wall of the, you know, inside surface of the keep, you can see like this mosaic and this art. Cool. 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 Okay, now make your way to the opposing wall. And in two and a half hours, when you arrive, press play, you know, and, and then you have to walk <laughs> right. like three and a half hours to get to the other wall. <laughs> right. Internal tram system's not set up yet, you know, you got to walk it, you got to hoof it. Yeah. Oh my God. What about you, Leo? I'd love to hear your answer to uh, this question from Alphonse as well. Your favorite real life place you've traveled to and then where you'd love to go in Dune. Yeah. Well, okay. So to be clear, I love traveling. I love it so much. My favorite memories are all very much rooted in traveling. Uh, I've been to, I think it's like a dozen, maybe like 13, 14 countries and all of them. I, I love each one so much. Um, I also did live in Japan for a month and it was pretty mind blowing. It was pretty incredible. Uh, but for this question, I will say actually Catalonia. And when I talk about Catalonia to people, they're like, I don't know what that is or where that is. Yeah. It is basically Barcelona and towns and villages between Barcelona and the uh, southern border of France. It's an area they speak Catalonian. They also speak Spanish. Honestly, the region is breathtaking. Yeah. In Catalonia, you've got these like incredible vistas, like the hiking and the nature is so uh, accessible uh, if you have a car, if you can drive to it. 
the weather is amazing. The cost of living is a lot lower, especially compared to New York. (laughs) You know, there's a ton of music, the architecture, the art. And, of course, the most important part, when I was in Catalonia, pretty much every person I encountered was very compassionate and warm and welcoming and nice in a way that I really appreciated. Yeah. It's something about it. It's um yeah. it's really it's really a beautiful place. Now regarding Dune, uh it's tough. I think that I will also say Arakeen. I mean Gamon. Mm-hmm. I mean Arakeen. <laughs> and I actually think that I'm gonna push my trip down the timeline a bit to the time of Children of Dune, actually. Early Children mm, of Dune. Okay. Okay. So also Arakeen. You know, we've still got the keep, we've still got the throngs the people all the things you said right bustling marketplaces the souvenir shopping yeah trinkets sexy dancer i mean sexy dancer fuck sexy dancers (laughs) (laughs) very nice that that was three freudian slips in a row that's impressive i'm just excited to buy some sexy i mean some souvenirs you know like the right 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 right. totally (laughs) very noble my pursuit (laughs) It's, it's one of the most impressive cities the galaxy has ever seen period. Yeah. And overall, sounds great. But my reason for pushing my trip back a bit is, first of all, we know that by the time of Children of Dune, the climate is a lot more kind of manageable. <laughs> like, it's wetter, right? And I don't have to, like, wear a still suit every time I go outside. So that would be nice. The people are described as, like, softer. Yeah. And I feel like I would be less likely to, you know, offend someone and get knifed and killed yeah so there's that element and and i hate to admit how big of an element this is you know abu you get the experience of squinting up at that faraway figure is that fucking corba is that paul right 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 i have the chance to hear the preacher speak oh my god that would be so fucking cool (laughs) yes i just shop for trinkets Every day of the trip, I'd be like, I'm going to get some spice cup and just hang out in the plaza. Right. And hopefully, 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 knock on wood, preacher comes by and shouts out some heresy. Oh, glorious. That would be so cool. Yeah. I want, I just want Paul to use the voice on me, you know, and he's not going to do it on a (laughs) one-on-one basis. So I've got to get it where I can, you know? So true. Mm -hmm. I understand. I understand. I've been there. And I would see Asan Tariq and I'd be like, yo. You're dumb. <laughs> you're you're going to try and kill a god with a fucking pseudo shield, idiot. Anyway, <laughs> that's my thought. Yeah, that's a great answer. I love it. I hadn't even considered the preacher, but boy, oh boy, what a treat it would be to hear one of his sermons. Totally. Oh, all right, Leo. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there we go. We almost don't want to say bye. But yeah, we must. No, let's just. That's it. Let's just leave it recording and uh, <laughs> release a seven, seven hours. Yeah, it'll be like a sleep sound <laughs> podcast. It'll be great. Um, <laughs> no, uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us on this book club series on Children of Dune. Yeah. They are such work intensive episodes. Like it is, mm-hmm. I've said before, but like, when I say an episode of this podcast takes like between 20 and 40 hours of labor between all of the things that go into them, I'm not exaggerating. And yet it is so rewarding to yeah 
dive into these stories and to revisit these characters and events that we love with the sort of new lens of how much can we get out of every sentence and almost justifying the reason we have this podcast. Frank always seems to deliver where we dig and dig and dig. And then someone will send us an email and be like, yeah, you totally missed this whole thing. And we're like, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. Yep. It's very rewarding. It's very, very fun. Wouldn't have it any other way. And genuinely like the deepest thanks to all of you who listen and for supporting us as we uh, continue down this golden path of ours. Truly, truly. And before we leave you, we wanted to give you a little peek at what's to come, a little prescient glimpse Mm. at what our game plan is. Now that we have wrapped up this Children of Dune book club series, well, to be clear, first up, we're taking a well-deserved holiday break (laughs) for the patrons who will listen to this episode as soon as it comes out in December 2022. The holidays are right around the corner and we'll be going on a bit of a break until the new year from now until then, because folks, we're tired. We're really, (laughs) really tired. Yeah. (laughs) And we're going to spend some time with friends and family and recharge our batteries so that we can achieve maximum hype for Dune in 2023. Totally. But we do have some exciting plans for what we want to do next year. So here's a bit of a sneak peek and a lightning round run through of what's to come. Now, in preparation for this section, uh, you'll notice that this downloaded episode of the podcast actually came with a packet of a lethal amount of spice. So just take Uh that uh and then during your Uh spice trance, all of this will make sense. Okay. Right. Are we a cult now? (laughs) (laughs) We did it. (laughs) We finally made it to cult status. (laughs) Step one, patreon.com. Step two, (laughs) file for being a cult. Yes. So we have now completed the book club. We are going to be turning our attention to the Children of Dune sci-fi miniseries. Hello. So excited. We are going to cover it across multiple episodes, just like we did for the uh, previous sci-fi miniseries. So you can watch the episode, listen to us talk about it. Should be a ton of fun. Yeah. And that's obviously just one type of episode that you patrons will continue to get as we do these weekly episodes. I don't know how we do it. Two of us and we're doing weekly episodes. It's nuts. (laughs) Uh, But that's what we're doing. So you'll continue to get these early access to these episodes as we make our way toward not only Dune Part 2, but also another book club because we do plan on doing a book club for what's next? God Emperor of Dune. God Emperor of Dune. God Emperor of Dune. (laughs) Eventually. We're again, we're probably going to wait until the public feed catches up with the uh, Patreon feed. So it'll be about three months, but fear not weekly episodes still coming out and we've got some really fun stuff planned. That's right. And meanwhile, on the public feed, on that free public feed for all of our listeners, those folks will continue to hear the backlog of book club episodes until they are all caught up and have also completed the Children of Dune book club. Yep. In addition to that, every other week, as has always been the case on Gamjabar, all listeners will get deep dive lore episodes. Indeed. But something new we want to try out in 2023 is starting to sprinkle in the occasional news-focused episode as well, because... As you stated, Leo, Dune Part 2 coming out in 2023. 
Yeah. Which means there will be lots of Dune news and hype and trailers and previews and interviews to cover. So we'll be sprinkling in the occasional news-focused episode as well as the hype continues to grow. I am so excited about this. I want to highlight this. We are going to be doing Distrans episodes. Can you even fathom <laughs> the enjoyment <laughs> we're going to get out of this? Because, listen, yeah. hey, I hope that you out there in listener land have, this is selfish of me, but I hope that you've recommended Gamjabar to someone you know. Also, I would like us, you know, Abu and I are, have been talking about this. I would like for us to make it easier for you to keep abreast all of the modern happenings in the Dune IP. I'd like to make it fun and easy and accessible to be caught up with all of the stuff that's happening. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff happening. I mean, we, I still get every couple of days, someone will text me, hey, did you hear about this thing? And I'm like, oh, I've been playing that thing for a minute. So <laughs> there's a lot happening. And I think that our Distrans episodes that we're going to do are going to be a lot of fun, a good chance to kind of relax and in a more casual way, talk about all this stuff that's happening. Who was cast and what? What do we think of that? Do we think that person's going to be a good so-and-so? All sorts of fun yeah. stuff. I'm, ex I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah, those should be fun episodes. Of course, we also love bringing on other voices onto the show. We've yeah. had some incredible uh. collaborators and guests before, and we're hoping to do even more of that in 2023. So stay tuned. We're excited to continue working with our favorite Dune creators out there. Totally. And if you know someone or are someone <laughs> who would be a great fit to join us on an episode, let us know, gomptobarpodcast at gmail.com. Indeed. Can't wait to bring on some fresh voices to the show, too. Now, we are always experimenting with our episodes. We are always trying new formats, new little things. And with that in mind, we're going to be trying some new things in 2023. In addition to the aforementioned news episodes, we're going to try out some video content. Ooh. You know, I've heard TikTok's a hot place. Hello. <laughs> Uh, you'll maybe you'll finally know what we look like as if, <laughs> as if you didn't didn't already uh but yes 2023 is going to be a lot of fun as always we are looking to make as good a product as we can for you and we don't want to fall into that trap of stagnation right yes we don't want to fall into the mistake of doing things the same way for too long so bear with us as we continue to make the best thing we know how to make absolutely and of course, we want to hear from you as well. We want to create a show and create content that you want to be listening to and that you want to be watching. So never hesitate to reach out to us, comjabarpodcast at gmail.com. We say it at the top of every episode. <laughs> yeah. You know that email by now. So always feel free to reach out to us with ideas or pitches or just the types of things you want to hear on Gomjabar. We're always open to it. Indeed we are. All right. Well, everybody, hey, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this golden path. Yeah. And as we take our little holiday break, man, this is going to make no sense to people listening <laughs> in fucking right, March. Like it, 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 <laughs> yeah, it, in 2023, we're so sorry, public feed. This was recorded in December 2022. I'm <laughs> not fucking sorry. Consider supporting us on Patreon so that this isn't weird. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, to all of you who are hearing this in uh, in December, have a safe and relaxing and holiday season, whatever you celebrate. 
Happy New Year. Seriously. And I guess we'll see you in 2023. <laughs> see you in the future. We'll see you in the future. Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word of Muad'Dib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lord Party Podcast Network on lordparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And hey, remember, whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the golden path. Quote. Quote. Wow, my voice really cracks there. (laughs) (laughs) A message from Joe. Quote. (laughs) (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.